I was about 13 years old on a trip out west with my family, doing a big circuit around the west, and we went to Glacier National Park and woke up the next morning, had gotten in really late, and the next morning woke up and saw this incredible peak in the distance. And uh, later on that day, my brother and I, he was 16, I was 13 years old, and we decided we were going to go climb that peak. <laughs> yeah, didn't work out too well. So... Um, we took off, and uh, about a half hour later, it uh, didn't seem much closer to us, and, uh, and, and then there was this river, and we decided, all right, we'd take off our shoes and walk across that river, and it was like, you know that feeling, well, maybe, you, I hope you don't know this feeling, but that feeling of your foot being in a, in a, in a vice, and it's just sort of tightening, that's what it's like walking through glacier melt uh, waters, and so we finally made it across that. And I went another half hour, and that peak didn't seem any closer. And uh, we went a little farther, and that peak didn't seem any closer. And we finally lost heart, and we turned around kind of dejected. (laughs) Maybe you've had that kind of experience with a hobby. Maybe you've had that kind of experience where you start off with with a great sense of enthusiasm, and, hey, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to learn how to play the whatever, ukulele, you know? Um, maybe only four strings. I can go for it, right? And, and then somewhere in the middle, of it, you, you, you lose heart. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an exercise routine, right? Maybe it was last year's New Year's resolution, or, 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 or maybe it was just like a, um, a thank you note, right? You get halfway through that thank, thank you note, and you, you kind of mess up, and you think, oh, gosh, i got to start all over again. So you throw that one out, and you try it again. And, and you can lose heart. There's so many... There's so many activities and so many endeavors in life where we start out with great heart and then lose heart. We start out with great zeal and enthusiasm and, and lose steam. We all experience this. Can it be true in your faith as well? You know, you had that, that aha moment, that, that relational aha, that you aren't made for you. You weren't made for yourself, that God made you for himself. And you have this, this great sense of relief and release that, that, that you were made for a purpose and that there is uh, forgiveness. And you have this great sense of relational commitment and aha and, and a season of enthusiasm and zeal. And maybe, maybe you lose a little bit of steam. And then there's that, that haunting expression, that haunting confession that I've mentioned a time or two by Peter Scazzaro where he says, I thought I was a 22-year Christian, but it turns out I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. It's haunting to me because I think of the responsibility that we have together to stir each other up beyond that, to keep us moving to keep us moving, as C.S. Lewis says, higher up and further in, to be able to to understand the Christian life as a lifelong pursuit from this innermost identity to outermost influence. That's, That's the gospel awakening or the grace awakening in each one of us, from innermost identity to outermost influence. But sometimes along the way, in certain seasons, we can stumble or we can, we can lose steam. And the fire begins 
to, 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 to wane a little bit. What is the church's role, the local church, the institution? Can the institution speak into that? Can the institution regenerate the heart for relationships? I think the answer that you'll see in Matthew 18 is yes. From the Word of God, Matthew 18, starting with verse 15. If your brother or sister, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. How'd you do with that the last time? <laughs> All right, we'll get to that in just a minute. I'm just messing with you a little bit. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is God's word. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, bless us this morning through your word. Not only to our minds that we may understand it, but to our hearts that we may receive it fully and well. That through our hands and feet, we may Live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I have, uh, used to have this tendency where when I was late for something, I'd call up and I'd say, I'll be there in five minutes, even though I probably figured it was about seven to ten minutes, right? You ever done that? Are you, are you on that end of the scale, or are you more like under-promise and over-deliver, right? You're, you know you're about, you're about ten minutes away, and you say, you know what, I'm about, I'm about 15 minutes out, and then you show up a little bit early. I've kind of had to discipline myself to do that a little bit because I've noticed uh, that there are people in my life that, that consider that sort of a, a chink in the armor of trust. If, if even you, you make uh, a promise like that and then you go beyond the margins and you set a pattern like that, you, you begin to look like you're trying to manipulate or you're, you're trying to make yourself look better or you're just trying to avoid confrontation. And, and, and so uh, uh, I, have, I have learned or pushed myself to uh, under-promise and over-deliver, especially when I'm late. The, the idea that relationships are just organic is completely absurd. There must be order to relationships for them to thrive. Relationship and order equals healthy relationship. This morning, let's consider how does the local church, the institutional church, bring order 
to relationships, that relationships may be healthy and thrive. First of all, relationships thrive because of the institutional church. When, when the institutional church is holding us accountable to certain principles. When we voluntarily submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5, 21, when we voluntarily submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we are entering into a covenant relationship of accountability. And we're being held accountable to certain principles that are biblical principles that help build healthy relationships, help relationships thrive. That's the first way. See, the, the church can do that. The, the church, the organization called church can do that. You say, well, but, but Tim, uh, churches, uh, churches sometimes get sort of bureaucratic, don't they? And, and, and relationships need to be organic, right? They just need to grow. They just need to spontaneously grow on their own. That's, I think a lot of times when we're talking about organic, we think spontaneity or spontaneous, right? You can't just, uh, you know, sort of schedule time to be friends with somebody, right? I mean, that's sort of artificial. We need organic relationships, right? Isn't that, isn't that how most of us think? Yes. But consider this. Every living thing, every organism is organized. Every cell is organized. Every plant, every organism is organized. That's, that's one of the reasons why Jesus uses the metaphor of the body for the, the church. It's living, but it's organized. Have you ever planted mint? You know, have you ever planted mint? And, and then it took over, right? It's like mint everywhere, right? And, and uh, you know, it, it, that, that's one of the reasons why farmers plant in rows. There's a certain order that brings life over the long haul. A certain amount of order, even a minimal amount of order can help things thrive and grow. Matthew 18 is about the principle of orderly relationships. The principle of orderly relationships. That there's a certain way of approaching conflict disagreement, there's a certain way of approaching relationships that works because we're designed to function that way. When there's a conflict or there's a problem and somebody comes to you and you say, well, how did it go when you talked to them about it? Well, I haven't talked to them about it yet. They violated that principle, except if they're coming to you confidentially to get your counsel. There's, there's nothing wrong with that as long as that's what's happening. But you know what we tend to do is we talk to everybody else but the person that we were supposed to talk to, that we need to talk to. We're, we're often going to somebody else except the person with whom we have the, the disagreement in order to what? In order to, to get emotional support, right? This person did this, and, and, and I feel like, uh, you know, there's, a, there's, an, there's an imbalance in the force or something like that, and so you need somebody on your side to, to kind of give you some reassurance and emotional support that this person certainly was wrong, especially in the way that I characterized it, even though I didn't tell you everything that happened, right? And I started it, right? So you're talking to everybody else, you're getting emotional support. You're not talking to the person. You're violating what I usually just refer to as the Matthew 18 principle. If we just follow that in the church, 
If we just follow that amount of order in the church, amazing, it would be amazing just how healthy our relationships would be. And this is just one principle. This is just one way that Scripture helps us bring order to our relationships. We talk about this on our staff all the time, about um, the, the intersection between relationship and order, right? I've been in, uh, in church settings or on teams or in businesses where you have high relationship and low order, right? And everybody's all, all about the relationships, right? And low order. And you think, well, that's a great environment to be in, right? Well, yes, but not for long. Because people start calling up and saying, I'll be there in five minutes, and they're there a half hour later, right? And so order being low begins to affect the organic nature of relationships. See how that works? Order and structure foster healthy relationships. Matthew 18 is just one example. And we know it's true. I mean, we don't always even get along with ourselves, do we? You don't get along with you all the time, do you? I mean, maybe you didn't even get along with yourself when you woke up this morning. You thought of something you said yesterday. I did. I thought, oh, why did I say that? Right? Reminds me of that story about the, the, uh, the guy who was stranded on this uh, desert island by himself. Cruise ship comes along years later. He gets onto the cruise ship, and the captain is leaning over the railing, and he says, what are those three huts on the uh, horizon that we see there? He says, well, the one on the right is where I, where I live. And the one on the left is where I worship. He said, well, what's the one in the middle? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church, right? <laughs> we, we don't always get along with ourselves. We <laughs> I love that story. We don't always get along with, with ourselves. So we need to embrace the structure of the local church and the order that it brings and the principles that it points to. We organize our organism around the principles that bring life and health and peace. And you say, Tim, we don't always organize around those. Sometimes we organize around things that, that don't bring life and health and peace. Yes, that's why you need to hang in there and be involved and plug in and, and speak into these situations and, and follow principles like Matthew 18 because you can't set it and forget it, Right? What Jesus is handing over to the disciples in such a relational way, but such a very intentional and powerful and structured way is people have to be plugged in to the structure, but there has to be some structure. You hear him saying, where two or three are gathered, right? That's, that's just an idiom. It's a certain, it's a certain metaphor, or an expression, an, an outward picture of the organization we call the local church. You see, when we're accountable to these principles, we can build healthy relationships. That's the first. That's the first way the local church, the institution that we often think of as so cold and so, so something that's just so disconnected and so much on the other end of the scale from relationships. That's the way the institution supports healthy relationships. The second is this. That, that, that when we hold ourselves accountable to certain norms, not just principles, but certain norms, we can sustain healthy relationships through the local church. The local church, the institution, when we submit, right? right? <coughs> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
When we, when we make ourselves voluntarily, in other words, accountable to the community of faith in which we live and to the norms that Scripture establishes, to those norms, we can sustain healthy relationships. They can be sustained, but, but this has to be an authentic commitment. In, in other words, it can't just be perfunctory. Well, you know, I, I told you this, um, I told you this funny little story when Beth and I moved down to uh, Orlando. There was somebody who uh, I saw the first day we were moving into our house, and I never saw her again. And she said, I keep my membership down at Presbyterian. I thought, I've never heard it put quite like that. What does that mean? I keep my membership at Presbyterian. I don't know what that means, but hey, great to meet you. Fantastic. She found out I was the new Presbyterian minister down at First Presbyterian Church and or First Pres Orlando. I keep my membership down at Presbyterian. I thought, well, that's, wow, that's great. Um, that sounds like maybe something you'd say about Blockbuster Video. You know, I mean, maybe you don't remember Blockbuster Video. You know, but that's, that's kind of the point. We have to... We have to be accountable to each other. We've got to show up, for example. We've got to hang in there with each other. Around certain norms, principles, yes, we described that, but certain norms so that we can sustain healthy relationships. I remember when I was uh, first starting out in, in ministry in Texas and I was, I was focused on youth and family ministry and, and, uh, and I, I noticed, I went, I went around to... Um, to the classes, and the classes were all broken up, each class, 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, and they were under fluorescent lights and at desk, and they had number two pencils, and it was, it, I'm telling you, I looked in there, and I just thought, oh, wow, God, help you kids. I mean, I just, I'm <laughs> better you than me, right? And eventually, what we ended up doing was creating something more relational, and, and, uh, and even Sunday night, that was, it, it kind of had this compulsory feel to it, like they had to be there because somebody put their feet in a vice, you know, they said, you got to go. And, and so, you know, there they are, they're there, and it's like, here we are at church again. And I said, well, I, I want to tell you all something. I, I'm, I'm going to be getting together. I only want you to come if you want to come on Wednesday nights, and uh, we're going to do this thing, and I'm going to call it something else. And I actually called it something else, and for some strange reason, that name stuck for like years. Like, you couldn't get rid of it. Like, it's called something else. And so, so kids started coming to something else, and the thing blew up. Why? Because they wanted to be there, and the kids that came that they brought wanted to be there, and you could tell the difference. You could tell the difference. And it became sort of normal to want to be at the church with your friends. It's incredible. One of those kids, his name, is, uh, uh, name was uh, Kevin Donat. He was one of the boys that was killed in the bus crash that I was in in 1999. And Kevin, I'll never forget Kevin, because one of the things that Kevin did was he brought his enthusiasm about relationships into every Wednesday night. And there were dozens of kids there because Kevin was there. How many kids know Christ today and are leading their families according to his will and his way and his purpose in a sustainable way because Kevin showed up because he wanted to? I was thinking about that when I was thinking about this passage. And it reminded me of something I remembered reading from uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, who is who was a sociologist from France, he came over and he toured around the United States and he wrote a book called Democracy in America in, in the mid-1800s and he said this, 
I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her, her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought it in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought it in her rich mines, in her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress, in her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Alexis de Tocqueville. You see, what he's observing are people who are mutually submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What he's observing are people in fellowship with each other, koinonia, a special kind of covenant relationship around certain norms. You can see by the principled way that that conflict in the church is dealt with and that where two or three are in agreement, then even heaven is in agreement with the action and discipline of the church. You see, these are norms established in an environment of mutual submission that, that again and again people observe. This is the great strength of any democracy. Why? Because, because what it gets at is the wiring, the intelligent design behind human community. The local church, when it's lined up with these principles, can sustain healthy relationships. Finally, this, the zeal that each of us has at times, the passion that we have and feel and experience in our faith can be rekindled again and again through this thing we call the institutional church. It can be. It can be. Not only when, when, when we're beholding to and accountable to principles and norms, but also when we allow ourselves when we voluntarily allow ourselves to be shaped by each other. To be shaped. To let ourselves continue to move, to be lifelong learners, to be people who continue to internalize what we say we believe, what we sometimes parrot, but don't always live. But in relationships, what we say outwardly can get in through that kind of accountability. Allowing ourselves to be shaped. Why? Because we, we live in the light of eternity. And so pride can, 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 get, can be placed upon the altar of grace. And so, so, so our reputations can be placed on the altar of character. You see? And so... So we mutually submit in the light of eternity according to certain norms and principles because we know that there is great power in the means of grace of one another. Did you understand what I just said? There is great power in the means of grace that is one another. Now, so often we think, 
You know where, where the great power of faith is? It's in my own zeal, so my own individual church experience, my own individual faith experience. Now, that's true. And in, in evangelical, we're broadly evangelical. We're Presbyterian, we're Reformed, we adhere to certain doctrines, but we're broadly evangelical. And the evangelical movement over the centuries has emphasized the personal conve- conversion experience, and I fully subscribe to the import of that. And every one of you needs to have this aha moment of grace, this waking up to relationship. You weren't made for yourself. God made you for himself. Your heart will be restless until you rest in him. All of that is so true. But when we reduce our zeal and, 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 and the idea of our growth in the faith to just our own individuality, we miss, we miss the great means of grace that is in one another. The means of grace. When I, when I talk about the table, sometimes I'll talk about the sacrament of the means of grace. Calvin talks about the fact, John Calvin talked about in Geneva, he talked about the fact that, that where two or three are gathered and where the word is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there you have a local church. And what he's saying there is that with order and ardor, with relationships and, and organization built on the church and on the sacraments uh, administered by Christ, there is authority. There's authority in that place, and that authority is in light of eternity. Now, I've said that several times. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? What does it mean that something loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven? Something something bound on earth will be bound in heaven. What is that? That's in light of eternity. That means that there's real authority and real means to bring real change in your real life. That's what it means. That's what this passage is saying. It's saying that when we mutually submit to one another, God is in our midst, and he's at work in the person that, that may be sharpening iron. And, and have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? It, it, sometimes it's not pretty, right? It scrapes. I mean, it's like, you know, filings, you know, get scraped off, and that's me. That's my pride getting scraped off of me because you pointed out some inconsistency uh, out of the love of Christ, and I'm better for it. We don't like it. Anybody like it? Raise your hand. See? Nobody likes it. Told you. We don't like it. But when we voluntarily, mutually submit to one another, recognizing, it's the same thing in a marriage. A lot of times people go into a marriage with very faulty thinking. I'm going to change that person. I really like their personality, but I don't like these things about them, so I'm going to go change that person. Then it'll be perfect for me, right? That's how people think. It's amazing to me that people still think that. I mean, it, it, it train wreck after train wreck of people trying to change each other. But you know what you can do? You can be changed. Where's the influence in a marriage or in any relationship? It's over your ability to submit to the truth. A lot of times we think, I'm submitting to that person, and now I'm going to be like a child in this relationship. No. There's a difference. When someone's right and you submit to the truth, you grow in stature. You grow in strength. You grow in character. And that's what the local church is supposed to be about. is people submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ that they may be shaped over the entire course of their lives. I close with this. When I was interviewing with, uh, with the pastoral nominating committee here. I was interacting with, with a great group of people, and, and the, the chairman of that committee is Harry T. Jones, and 
Harry T. told me that, uh, that you all brought in a consultant at that point and that, that this church uh, had a certain personality and had gone through this, this book that talked about this local church's personality and, and that this church was, was called an inspirational church. And what that means is this, and I, I wrote to Harry T. back and I, I, w- I, was, I was inspired by the definition of this, uh, 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 of this label for... First Presbyterian Church, Thomasville. And I said this. I wrote back to him. I said, As I read through the traits of the inspirational church, I'm reminded of the congregation in which I grew up. Their respect for relationships goes way beyond what some people call the family reunion church. Now, you can see the potato salad in that, right? (laughs) Which I think in the book is called the fellowship category, right? So those small churches that... In other words, the inspirational church sees relationships as one of the primary means by which the Lord influences and shapes us. Therefore, the strong relational bent is coupled with a deeper respect for the sanctity of fellowship, if I'm reading this right. The sanctity of the fellowship is the local church expressed outwardly all the ways that we can measure it. And that the mystery here is that God is in the midst of us. In, in, in the bricks and mortar parts of us, he's in the midst. There's a Greek word for fellowship, koinonia, which captures that value. As I've thought about how do we call ourselves again to a new year of, a 2019 year of commitment to ministry and mission, I thought, you know, it's, it's got to come back to fellowship. You know, the, the, the eternal light of truth that springs from innermost to outermost is, is enabled and it is rekindled and it is rejuvenated, brought back to life again and again when we mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And where two or three are gathered in that kind of fellowship, he is in our midst. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your goodness to us because of your goodness through us. Through us, God, you you reach us and you speak. Through us, you shape us and you direct. Through us, God, we learn and those seeds of, those mustard seeds of faith find fertile soil in fellowship. They find nurturing in tender hands of guidance and teachers that that love children, in sometimes tough love, rough hands, the right boot of fellowship, if you will, Lord. We, We thank you for your church, and we pray that you'd help us to be faithful in and through it, even as you have been faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.